We got a born and bred entrepreneur. Last year, the business was about 43, 44 million. This year, the goal is to break through the 50. $50 million mark is the goal. We're the first ones to come up with all of these things that now, looking back, they, they just happen to be normal. Real estate in another two to three years is going to outpace the growth of our original business and even the income of the business. Welcome to the Behind the Rise podcast hosted by the Perina Brothers. My name is Angelo and I'm joined by my brothers and business partners, Lucho and Valentino. On this show, we will speak to successful local, national and global entrepreneurs as well as discuss lessons we've learned in our 15-year career building a nine-figure organization. We're in the middle of our journey now and want to share with you all the wins, losses and lessons learned behind the rise. All right, everybody, we have a special uh, ep episode today. We have Victor Oliveira here, CEO of, founder and CEO of Discover Marble and Granite, or Discover Surfaces. Surfaces right? now, yeah. Discover With all the different products out there we rebranded. Yeah, yep. a beautiful A-class company that we'll get into, and we have his son, Lucas, here as well. Yep. Say what's up, Lucas. How's it going? So we're going to get into it a little bit here. We got a a born and bred entrepreneur, um, someone who's built an A-class business locally here and actually in Florida too yeah, as well. exactly. Yep. So yep, we'll get into all states. that. Mm -hmm. Oh, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, I love these types of uh, conversations. So uh, I'm, I'm excited and looking forward to it. Yeah, no. So we've had, we've already been here for over an hour and a half talking business. Yeah, so yeah. We, 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 could have, we could have had a whole podcast yeah, already. Yeah, we already, filmed, exactly, filmed. <laughs> already filmed two podcasts already. So we've had a, a great conversation Um a lot of business stuff that we're going to get into here right. today. So, Victor, let's start with, you know, tell us about, you know, where you grew up, how you, sure. I know you mi migrated here from Brazil, right. you know, yep. to the United States. Mm -hmm. Let's just get into the background. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, my parents immigrated to the U.S. in 1990. Yeah. I was 12 years old at the time. Um, you know, if you go back to that time, you know, that period, I mean, here and also in Brazil especially, you know, interest rates were about... 80, 90% a year. What? Yeah, in Brazil. So when they talk about 8% now, <laughs> that's and that's crazy. sort of what drove, uh, yeah, that's what drove my dad to sell everything, whatever was left that we had and, and make the move. But I grew up in a family, you know, my dad was always an entrepreneur. He, he owned uh, restaurants, he, owned far he did farming, he did a little bit of everything. So I grew up around that. Hmm. Then we moved here. Um, as an immigrant, you know, you're starting out from nothing. It was the first time, actually, that I ever saw my dad actually having a job and working for somebody else. Wow. So my, my memories prior to that was always him having a uh, business and working for himself and, and building a life. Um, but things got really bad. The economy got bad. And, and, and he decided, hey, um, let's go try this out in, in another country. And so the U.S. was the country. And he was 53. I was 12, my youngest sister was 8, and my oldest was 16. Mm -hmm. um, so it's pretty interesting to make that move at that age. So, so yeah, let's wrap our minds around that for a second. At the, so you've been, he's been an entrepreneur, your father, he was an yep. entrepreneur his whole life. Yep. He worked for himself his whole life, built exactly. a family over there in Brazil. Yep. And it was you and, and two siblings? Yep, and, and yeah. my mother. And, and, uh, and at the time when we moved here, I mean, he, he was cleaning floors. You know, he was uh, working in restaurants, cooking wow. and and. and Washing dishes and that, and my mother too. My mother never worked. I never saw my mother work. You know, she was raising three kids and she yeah. was taking care of the house. Um, and you know, here we get here, and now she's cleaning floors. That's so, and, and to watch that process and go through that, um, I think it def definitely helps shape you know you as as 
as a as a person, but also it, it feels that fire within you to do something better and, and be able to help them, right? And, yeah. And then do something where you can go back and hopefully uh, be of value to them and, and yeah. offer. At 53 them, years old, 53, that is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, the level exactly. of risk that takes is crazy. And I'm sure that he probably did it for you guys. Yeah. He oh, did yeah. it to move here, to give opportunity to you, to now... Lucas and everyone else like that's the level of risk that takes is, is pretty incredible. Exactly. And I, and I think, uh, it, it gives you going through that experience. It, it allows you to understand that, you know, when you're comfortable, he could have been comfortable. He could have downsized everything he had right. and just stay comfortable living a, a simple life in Brazil. But no, I think he just had this thirst for more and, and give us the opportunity to go to better schools. And I think that's the reason why he did. He said, you know, we can be comfortable. And still live a comfortable life, but what is that going to do to the kids? Can I send them to the best schools? Can I give them the opportunity they deserve? Yeah. And I think what drove a lot of that decision for him was really the kids. It wasn't necessarily him. Yeah. Um, so by being uncomfortable and, and, and moving to a new country with the family, he um, he opened up the doors for all of us, and and all of us did pretty well. My sister happens to be partnering the business. She's down in Florida. She runs the companies down there. So everybody kind of benefited Beautiful. from his decision not to stay comfortable. Beautiful. So you're 12 years old when you move yep. here, right? You're mm-hmm. in school, you know, probably no English. English, right? Nope. Yeah, figure it out, right? <laughs> try to try to wrap your head around that one. Yeah, just, exactly. Uh, you know, seventh grade and just walking into the classroom without understanding a word of Tough. English. And, uh, you know, again, it's about being comfortable. You push yourself. And within, uh, I think, six months, I was in a place where I could understand, could have conversations. My English wasn't that great, but at least I could survive. But for six months, I didn't know where to go, how to go to a... I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't ask any questions. I mean, I think about that for a second. It's, it's that's tough. tough. Yeah. yeah, that's tough. Yeah. yeah so. and, at, and at that age, it's tough too because those kids are starting to be a little bit mean. You know, they, that right. seventh grade is when right. things start to get a little bit real. Yeah. Um, yeah. We moved from uh, Medford to Reading and I was in the fifth grade and I thought that was tough. So <laughs> I could imagine moving from, you know, Brazil exactly, to yeah, in yeah. the seventh grade. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now, all right, so now you're going through high school. Like, how were you, you know, throughout high school? Like, did you play sports? Were you so, a good student? So, yeah, I played a little bit of sport. I, I, I don't think I was ever a good student. Uh, I, was, I just did enough. Um, I think, uh, I don't know if I was bored and, or whatnot, but I just did enough to get by. I never stayed bad. I, you know, I would just barely do enough. Um, and I think it's because it, I never found anything that really piqued my interest. Um, it wasn't until... After high school, where I got into aviation and, and went to flight school and then business, that I became an extremely good student. Mm. Like I would always wanted to get hundreds or A's or whatever I, you know, whatever I did. I wanted to be the top of my class. Mm. And, and so once I found that passion within me and I found something that really piqued my interest, then I became all of a sudden a good student. And that's very common. Every, I feel like, entrepreneur we've ever talked to, they okay. always said that. Like school, you know, I did enough, whatever, because if... For people like 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 you, right? Right. If it doesn't interest you and you don't see how it serves you, mm-hmm. what or the fuck am I going to put my hundred percent right, effort exactly, into that? Exactly. You know, like, but all of a sudden there becomes a switch of like, ooh, yeah, this, this information this, I right. can use it, right? Exactly. exactly. And then all of a sudden you start that yep. obsession, or you start exactly that dialing in focus mentality, and, and I think that's very common. So how did you find the passion? Because that's rare, right? Aviation. Right. So mm-hmm. you were a pilot. Yeah, I was a pilot. That was kind of the uh, past life, huh? Yeah, 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 right. So, so that was right after high school. Um, it was right after high school. Actually, I was still in high school. I started mm. flying when I was seventeen. Um, really? So one day, it, it just happened by chance. So one day, I think I always had the passion and interest in, in airplanes, but never really crossed my mind to have a career in aviation. 
But one day my dad called me up. He says, what are you doing? I said, ah, no, I'm just sitting home. It was an afternoon. And he says, oh, uh, I'm going to pick you up. So he came and picked me up. A co-worker of his was taking some flight lessons. Mm-hmm. And he uh, drove me to the Worcester Airport. And you know, we went for a quick ride in a Cessna. Mm-hmm. And I remember we landed. It was only a 30-minute flight. And we landed. And I went to the flight instructor. I said, hey, uh, what can I do to start taking some flight lessons tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, it's not quite like that. And we put something on a schedule. And the day I remember, like it was yesterday, the day that we had that scheduled, it was a day like today outside, mm. raining, foggy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I showed up at the airport. He goes, we're not going anywhere. Yeah. But maybe another day. That's how bad I wanted to day. fly. Yeah. You know? I just showed up in a really bad day. And she said, oh, no, we're not going anywhere today. Yeah. But that's how it all started. So, um, you know, never looked back. We, I got my commercial pilot's license. I was 20 years old. Wow. Uh, flight instructor, 21. I had my first job at 22, um, and then 9-11 happened in 2001, and, and that was the last day on the job, mm. and that's when I shifted completely uh, careers. So that's, that's how shift. I ended up in, in the business that we're in now. So qu- real quick, so was your, because I hear a lot of immigrants who, who come here, their parents are like obsessed with the idea of college right. in the U.S. Like they're like, you know, it's a dream of mine for my son sure. to go to college. Mm-hmm. Did you have that pressure from your dad? Not really, actually. I think I think he's always wanted me to do well, no matter what I did, yeah. right? Um, and I think because my mother did go to college, my dad didn't, um, and I think he understood that it really wasn't about college, right? It wasn't about school. I think it's about the drive. Uh, it's about there's so many little things that can make you successful. I mean, you could go to college and not be successful, so mm-hmm. it doesn't oh, it doesn't yeah. guarantee you success, right? Right. Um, but um, he never really pushed me to do anything just just he introduced me it's funny like i wish i had that touch i always think about it like he never he gave he gave me so much flexibility and so much freedom to choose right right and he introduced me he did little things like taking me flying that opened up a whole new world for me right or immigrating to the u.s and 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 worrying about which school i went to at least or where we lived so i could have a good education he did those things but he never really pushed me in any direction Hmm. he let me Figure things out on my own, and I think that was important. Sounds like that's, a great father. Yeah, that's yeah. really important. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, okay, so 9-11 happens, complete shift, right? Yeah. Complete Why shift. the shift? Hold on. Before the shift, is is fly, I hate to fly. I'm yeah. scared yeah. shitless of flying. <laughs> I'm, like, just starting to get over it now. Is it safe? Is it? Is, oh, yeah, I feel yeah. safe. Is honestly, good? Are we good? I honestly feel safer uh, in an airplane than I do. So when there's Flight turbulence, honestly, we're good. I don't oh, have yeah, to shit my pants no. when there's turbulence. I mean, no. I honestly love it. When was the first time you even brought me? I don't I don't even know. I mean, you grew up flying with me. Yeah. Uh, um, and Valentina, she's uh, 13, my daughter. Mm. She uh, she loves flying, and she actually flies the airplane when I take her up, and she wow. loves it. She's never scared, never. And everybody's so used to flying in the family, which is good. I'm glad. Cause That's good. You don't want to be like scared, our yeah. family. Because we do like, fly quite a bit. Yeah. You want to know how we fly? Let me give you an example <laughs> how we fly. My mom's in the front. She has rosary beads, religious, no oh, yeah. rock, Bible out <laughs> right. the whole time. Yep. The in whole full time, prayer. She's looking at me saying, We're fine while she's shaking, squeezing my arm or my hand. Yeah. My dad's in the back with like a Xanax or a kid. Oh, yeah. He right. took 10 Xanax. He doesn't yeah. know what's happening. So he's half <laughs> alive. We have to check his like heartbeat every like 30 mm-hmm. minutes. Yeah. Well, that's tough. And, <laughs> and, and then like mid flight, I look at Angelo. Angelo, like, he's the confident one. He's sweating his nuts off, and I'm like patting <laughs> off his forehead, like yeah. as we land. That's how we fly. That's so how when we, we book like a trip to go somewhere, oh, it, two planes. No, yeah, please. So now we go in two planes. <laughs> is, that, is that right? So yeah. just in case one goes exactly, down there. Yeah. yeah. So we yeah. got two planes going. I have a friend that does that. Uh, husband and wife <laughs> never fly together. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? They never fly together because they think you know something is going to happen on every trip they're on, and that's kind of I. 
you know, it's negative, real, negative thing. Yeah, real quick story because I was afraid of. I love the ocean, but I was afraid it was, was in the ocean. Mm. Uh, unrelated to our topics here, but so I said, you know, I got to take scuba diving. Mm. I got to see what's down there. I was afraid of sharks, whatever. Face the fear, right? So took scuba diving, got certified, and I did some dives with sharks. But every dive that I did, I thought I was gonna die. Mm. A shark was gonna eat me. So I was gonna <laughs> drown. Something was gonna happen. Mm. And it got to the point where, like, you know what? I already faced my fear. I feel like I conquered it. I didn't. I stopped diving because I don't have to do it. Mm. But if I had a fear of flying, and everybody needs to fly. If you go on vacation, you need to fly. You go back home and visit somebody, right. you need to fly. So I don't know how I would do if I every time I got on a plane, I thought that plane was going to go down. It's it not a good thing, right? Yeah, not yeah. a good thing. Facing your fears yep. is an extremely important trait and grit yeah. to have. Like even... You know, with with anything really, like if you have a fear and you're one of those guys who like, you know, let me just go nose deep into it. Like David Goggins talks about all the time. Mm -hmm. It builds so much discipline and grit. Yeah. And we're talking about flying. But imagine that that's probably what holds a lot of hold a lot of people back from starting their own business, making a move in life. Right. Correct. Progressing in life. I think we we it's that fear of of failure. It's the fear of I'm going to lose everything. Right. Exactly. I could lose my family. I could lose whatever savings I have. So that fear, we're talking about flying, but that's that's real, it, it, especially in business. Yeah. Know, it's or a, a career analogy. change or a shift in career. It just doesn't have to be business. So many people get so comfortable in their yeah. routine and it's a fear base. Exactly. Like if they if yeah. they make one change that they could they could lose what they yeah. have right now. Right. It's a great lesson. Back back to the airplane for one second. Yeah. Just a fun tip. Anytime we go on an airplane, we have to scan if we see any nuns. Yeah. We're like, here we go. Is there any nuns? There's Got one? We're good. We're yeah. good, yeah. We're, we're yeah, yeah. <laughs> this thing's going down because God's up on this plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, spot the nun, and then I also have everybody else eyed on the plane. So get, God forbid somebody gets up and starts acting cute, like with yep. the old friggin' storm. Yeah, you're beating all the beeline. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to have me in an aisle a foot and a half wide, and there's no other place to go. My I'll dad, take you down. My dad there's will no shake the stand. hand of the pilot yeah. Yeah. to make sure he has sturdy hands. So yeah. he'll Is that right? He'll be like, you have to go meet the pilot. Yeah, you better get yeah. me there safe. Yeah, but but, <laughs> right. ba- but I have a question. So, so at, when the nine eleven thing happened, mm-hmm. what made you switch to leave that industry? Was it like pay structure or more like what happened? No, in the it's industry? so interesting because it's just survival mode. You know, life um, life happens to a lot of people, right? At, mm-hmm. at some point in life, and and I think there's always a shift or a decision that we all make. And then when you look back, it's like. Imagine if that one dinner with somebody at the right time didn't happen. So what happened was I went to my mother's house, and, and she invited me. I said, oh, I'm going to cook dinner. It was just regular day, weekday. And I went. I'm sitting there a week or two after 9-11, and I said, yeah, i got to figure out how to pay the bills. You know, this is I don't think we're going back flying mm-hmm. anytime soon. I was a young pilot, uh, very little hours at the time in the commercial world. And then I knew pilots that had... You know, 8,000 hours, and they flew. They were ex-military pilots, very well-trained ex-Navy pilots, and they got laid off. Mm. And they were captains, you know, American Airlines. So if the market comes back, who's going to get hired first? Who's right. going to go back to work first? Right. Me yeah. or this guy who's got right. 20 years of experience, you know? So I said, you know, I don't think we're going to be called back anytime soon, so i got to figure something out. My brother-in-law was sitting at the table, and he was a fabricator. He worked for a company mm. um, doing fabrication. He said, you know, if you want, we can do this thing on the on the side. Um, I can help you in the weekends, and we'll make a little garage, a little building. You know, you go out and sell. We'll make some countertops, and let's in the mm. weekends we can install it. I said, ah, that's a great idea. Maybe I can get some income that way. And so I started looking at a place, and the first building that I found, or the only building I found, was about five thousand square feet, mm. and the rent was pretty high, a lot higher. You know, it wasn't a big number; it was like three thousand at the time. But to me, it was like 
how do I pay three thousand dollars? This is twenty something years ago, and um, so I found um, found that building. I signed a lease. Never looked back. And to mm. me, it was scary as hell. Like I gotta make this work. It's like there's no turning back. So all I did was go out and sell and sell, sell, sell. Um, and we kept overselling, you know, so <laughs> there, was, there was always more demand than we could produce. Mm. And that was a good thing. And it got to the point where a year or two later, when finally I could have gone back to that industry, to the airline business, you know, there was no going back. We had, I don't know, 18, 20 employees, no, actually probably more than that, close to 30 already at that point. I said, there's no going back. And, and what was, was your, a, like, pitch, right? Because you're, you <clears throat> barely have any information about this industry besides mm-hmm. your, you said your brother-in-law? Right. Yeah, and then you just got this lease. Like, what was the step to then? Like, how did you start? Yeah, did you just like went to a kitchen and bath dealer. Yeah, and that's said, you know. Yeah, I heard. Actually, listened. I mm. believe it or not, I'm not. My wife says I'm not a good listener, but mm. I did listen. Everyone's at the time. partner thinks that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, so um, I remember the first couple of meetings that I went to, and the first question that they would ask is, "Do you guys sell retail?" Mm. And I kept saying, I, "I was trying to figure out why they were asking that question." And it became clear to me that a lot of the companies they were using at the time were trying to do both, right? Sell retail and wholesale. So every time I would go into a kitchen and bath deal, that was a concern of theirs. And I'm, I'm going, I can understand that they probably don't want to do business with a company that's going to be in conflict, trying to take that customer away from them. Right. right? So I changed my pitch. And that's when it really works. I said, no, we're strictly wholesale. We don't sell retail. And we stayed to this day true to that model. Still Our model has all, no wait, so I take it back because now over the years you get to meet a lot of people right. and you know a lot of people and you always get referrals. Right. And right. so we probably do it's small amount. I mean it's not even two percent of our business, maybe one or two, where we get referrals, right? We we have somebody that we know and they want to buy direct and we we sometimes arrange something that we can actually yep. sell to them. But yep. other than that, we don't market, we don't advertise anything, we don't go after any retail business. Yeah. It's always been wholesale. And it just we, worked out well. Can Interesting. We, can we talk back to that real quick? So, mm-hmm. so you have the lease. You're going out to sell. So let's say you got a a, a sale. Right. Now what happens? Like, did you pass back to your brother-in-law? And yeah. So what? And he fabricated. Yeah. So we we because we got that building. I uh, had this little manual saw. Every I mean I did uh, everything because we didn't have employees in the first few months. So what I would do is basically I would go out and sell throughout the day, come back in at around three or four o'clock, change, and fabricate with him. Mm. He would. Punch out at his job, come back, you know, show up at like four or five o'clock in the afternoon, and we would work until ten o'clock at night. And wow. then, hopefully, the next day, we instead of fabricating, would be installing that afternoon. Mm. So we'd fabricate one night, install yeah. late afternoon. That's so every awesome. appointment was after five o'clock. That's how we did it. That's right. awesome. Yeah. Where did you guys get the product, like the material? So uh, the, you know, Grinner was very new at the time. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, it's what only year was 20, this? 2000 and late 01, early 2002. Okay, so right after. Yeah, the, right after okay. 9-11. Yeah. yeah. The company was incorporated on December 4th, 2001. Yeah. So it was only th- literally not even quite three months after 9-11. Wow. Yeah. So um, talking about the product, the, you know, the name Discover came from that because the other thing that I noticed every time I talked about granite, marble, and quartz was just starting to come along, people didn't. They're like, well, they didn't know about it that much. They're like, oh, you can put a, a rock as a countertop mm. on my cabinets. You know, mm. it wasn't it wasn't mainstream as it is today. So I said, well, it's, people are discovering this product right now. So I'm probably in the beginning stages of something really good, mm. and and it turned out to be that way. Um, so the name Discover came 
because of that because it was cool. so new for a lot of people that we and then there were a lot of companies getting started too as a as a distributor mm. so we aligned ourselves with a, a company at the time that was just starting to grow their business and they were supplying material they gave us terms right off the bat mm. things that don't happen today yeah we were able to do it and that was the only reason we were able to succeed because if i had to buy that material in order to sell it I don't think we would have done it, but they gave us 60-day terms right off the bat wow. without even knowing us. And that was an injection of capital, basically. It's like a line of credit. Right? Yeah, exactly. You have a $50,000, $60,000 line of credit with this supplier that can give you the product, you can manufacture, you can install it, get paid, and then pay him back. Yes. Yeah. So That's during beautiful. that time, were you, like when you went into it, did you have like a stockpile of money that you, you saved up for? Or did you go in with like $10 in your account and made a risk? Like, it was like no money you saved up. Yeah, yeah no, no no money at all. So, um, I, I mean, I had a little bit. I probably had $12,000 in my name, mm-hmm. if that. Um, so I took, uh, I went to my sister-in-law, and I think I borrowed 20000 My mother-in-law, 15000 mm. Good friend of mine gave me another fifteen. I think. All I know is that I went from being just broke to being in debt to family and friends for <laughs> in the tune of like sixty to eighty thousand yeah. um, at the end, and that that's the other driver. Like, you know, I I it's like burning the bridge and said so once you cross over, you, there's no turning back. Right? right, you don't have that bridge anymore. You just got to make it happen, and I think that that was a big driver for me to to succeed was that I got to pay these people back. Yeah. <laughs> you don't pay you. You have to pay your mother-in-law back. You have to pay your sister-in-law back. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, you can't yeah, get right. Sunday that. dinner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that would be a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't want that. So then, so when that happened, right? So you're, so let's see the roadmap here. So you yep. st- you got the lease. You're starting to get some sales. What was like the next couple years look like? Like what did that like day to day? Like what right. were you, what were you doing? Sure, it, it's very similar even to this day. Um, it, it's always a balance of continuing to try to find you know it's setting new goals. It's, uh, you know, the numbers just get bigger, I think. And the responsibilities obviously get bigger and the problems get bigger. Everything gets just amplified, in my opinion. But I think the formula of success in business is no different. Like I still show up at the same time. I eat lunch on my desk. I don't take breaks for, for lunch. So the same formula that, that I used in the early days, it's mm-hmm. no different now. It's just everything is amplified. Um, I think people try to overcomplicate things yeah. a little bit in business right. and especially as business start to evolve they try to get too fancy or too this or they want to do this different um you just need to understand i think your core values um and in what works and stay consistent hmm. and again everything's going to get bigger including your problems including your headaches but but the the formula like the, co- the coca-cola formula doesn't change right mm-hmm. what made coca-cola successful hundred years ago, it's what makes them successful today. Yeah, they, I love they, that. And every time they try to change it, they failed. Yeah, yeah. No, if, you, if you read the history of Coca Cola, it's just how many times they fail. Every time they, they try to tweak that formula just a little bit, they went back to the original one. Yeah. So I mean, but I, I have so I we understand the the marble and granite business, you know, because our parents are right. in as well. Yeah. So I don't want to like understate this. Like your company is probably one of the biggest around, and it's right. really an A class setup. Like if you see the way it is, it's not like every other marble company. It's not. It's uh, you know your warehouse is how many square feet is the warehouse and so we have uh, I'll, uh, just to give you guys a little perspective in the on the business. So yeah, so we have um, here in Massachusetts, our it became a little uh, manufacturing. Uh, you know, it's just three buildings, so it's mm-hmm. not just one building. So we've got a 35,000-square-foot building, a 27,000-square-foot building, and another 
10,000 square foot building. So each building does its own thing. Logistics, manufacturing, showroom, warehouse. We have another location in Connecticut with 25,000 square feet. Mm. Down in Florida, 12,000 square feet, and we're building another 12 now. Um, and we had another location in Orlando, which we sold a few years ago. Mm. Um, and then we have a small warehouse and showroom in the Cape. But so overall, we're almost 100,000, probably a little over 100,000. A little over now. Yeah. Point. In, in all the, in, you know, but I've, I've seen them and they're really like A class, like really beautiful showrooms. Like, so you Thank guys you. built Appreciate it that. the right way, you know, like, and you built big and aggressive. And a lot of right. people in our industry, like we talked about earlier, it's difficult to scale and difficult to grow. Very difficult, yeah. You know, so, and you guys are like a, 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 like a cut above everybody. So what was, what was it that you were doing? Like, what, what's the secret sauce? Um, so I, I will tell you a quick mom. story. So yeah. I'll tell you. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting. It's a great question because I even ask myself yeah. the question. So how did, how did I even do this? What, what got in my mind to even <laughs> try to stay ahead? Because it's, it's the buildings, but it's the way we build the showrooms. It's the quality of people that we hire. So there, it, you have to, it's an overall package. It's no, there's not just one simple answer to that question. But I was listening. I used going back to studying you know, whether I was a good student or not. When I started the business, I became a really, really good student of business in general. So I used to listen to all sorts of, uh, you know, at the time it was just CDs and going to conferences and that sort of thing. But there was one thing that it was this guy, which most people have heard, Brian Tracy, mm. um, old school sales trainer. He said something once at a CD that I was listening to. He says, if you're going to get into an industry, you need to be an innovator. And if you don't innovate, if you're not staying ahead in every aspect of your business, you're not going to make it. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be number one in your industry. You always have to aim to be number one or number two in every industry that you're in. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's interesting. How can I be number one or number two? And innovation to me was such a new word. Like, right. how do you, I'm getting into this business, as we know, like you guys, you, your parents are from Italy. Mm -hmm. And Stone has been around for hundreds, if not thousands of year, right, right. years, right? And so I'm in this business that is thousands of years old, and how do you innovate stone? It comes out of the ground. Right. You know, it's a countertop. What what kind of innovation can I do with that? So that stuck in my mind. So it, so it, to me, it became like, all right, maybe not the product, but how we make it, how we hire, mm. how we present ourselves, customer service, customer service. How we innovate that? How can we innovate the equipment that we use? Yeah. Become more efficient, more productive, right? Mm. Um, so we started innovating everything around that countertop and that's how um the culture of the company was built because that's uh, that's throughout the company that's just not from me that's everybody yeah, right. yeah. so to that point right because you you did that to to me to maintain that as you grow is very difficult too yeah it it's is easy to say that in theory. it gets harder actually yeah, yeah it's easy to say it in theory but then all of a sudden you have yeah. 100 employees you're like shit i have mm -hmm. to keep the same model throughout three different cities three different states that's it's difficult. difficult it is so how did you get from let's say your first 3,000 square foot facility to your second, to your third, to your fourth. Can you kind of talk through sure. that process? It's interesting. Um, I think as we as we discussed earlier, that in business there's always uh, uh, events that happen, and they, they tend not to be so positive at times, mm -hmm. and, and you make a shift. And, and the best shifts that we had came from very negative experiences. Yeah. All right? The 3,000 square feet uh, building, for example, uh, 5,000 square feet actually it was. Oh, yeah, 5,000. Yep. What happened to that one was that it was in a small town uh, in Sutton. Mm. And I didn't realize at the time that this, this was a multi-tenant building. And the town doesn't have any sewers. Everything was on septic system. Holy shit. And the septic system failed mm. in this entire complex. Holy shit. So overnight, the next morning, five, I mean, we had 
all sorts of uh, wow. time, you know, from from the health, border health, mm-hmm. and the, you name it, showed up that morning, shut the whole building down. Wow. And I'm like, how can they just put you out of business overnight? And I said, nobody's coming back in this building until, because you can't use your bathrooms. Right. You know, there's no, it, it, nobody's coming back in here until this is fixed. So I had to shift really quick and mm-hmm. find another place to move. And we actually, within two weeks, we moved the entire business um, two miles away uh, to a different building. And it was, that building was 9,000 square feet, but it had the opportunity, we had the opportunity to pick up another 10,000 square feet mm-hmm. next door, which we did a year later. So if we didn't make, if that hadn't happened, right. we wouldn't have been, because when, when that happened, all of a sudden we found ourselves in 9,000 square feet. And I said, well, now I got a bigger problem. I got to pay this bigger rent. Exactly. <laughs> so I went out and started selling more. Yeah, and this happened in 2004. And if you go back in history and you look what happened to the real estate market and the housing market between <clears> 2000, <throat> early 04 to when it, the bus happened, right, mm-hmm. in 2008, that was probably the largest growth period right. of the housing market Boom, in, in, in yep. our generation, at least, right? right? So it happened at the right time. We just happened to be at the right time with enough room for growth. Mm-hmm. And then it happened again at the end of 08, right? I said, okay, we're going to take that step again. So I went and bought a building. We added to it, and that was a 35,000-square-foot building that, that we have now. Um, and then I made the move. I bought a lot of equipment, millions of dollars worth mm-hmm. of equipment, and we put it in there, and we finished construction in December of 2008. And mm-hmm. we all know what happened. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Here it so, comes. Yeah. Here it comes. We're in the doghouse And now. I said... Boy, this was it. It was a nice ride. We're not going to make it through this. There was no way. I mean, I remember sitting. He was young. And he. I went to his room. He was sleeping. And I remember one day I sat next to him in, in bed. And I, I looked at him. And I looked around. And we had just built a beautiful home, too, mm. on top of yeah, it all. Right at that time. Yep. Right at that Yeah, we had just moved in. And I said, man, I built all this. And it's. I don't know if we're going to have it two months from now. I don't know if we're going to be here two months from now. And it was just, that was a very scary thought to have. That's real. You know what's yeah. funny? That's a real feeling. I that think that yeah. the bit, it's like the business gods do this, right? It's like, it has happened to us. It's like, as soon as you feel like you're yeah. up and up, you're right. about to peak, everything's going great. You finally took the leap to buy your own house that you wanted or whatever. And then something happens. Yeah. Right. Whether it's a huge exactly. recession, mm-hmm. World War Three potentially, like yeah. all this shit. And then just the the business well, gods. COVID, right? COVID. Yeah. The <laughs> exactly. business gods yeah. test you. Yeah. And that's where you find where the winners are. That's where you find where the warriors are, the really great business people. Because they can either look at that and they sink or they look at that and that's where sure. they become the best yeah, during true. those moments. Yeah. It is true. This is another example of, I think every single episode we've had this exact conversation or thing come up right. where things happen they don't happen to you they happen for you yeah right yeah you know it's 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 the ability again but it goes back to i think the the mindset of us business owners or entrepreneurs that that you you no matter what's thrown at you you we have to figure out a way to there's no dig choice. ourselves yeah. out right. of whatever mess we find ourselves in right there's no choice and the people that do that the best and I don't care if it's just in business or sports. I mean, in life in general, it could happen with relationships between father, mother, and son, or a couple, or whatever. It's we're all going to go through those tough times. It's the people that can figure out a way to crawl ourselves out of that hole yeah, right. are the ones that are going to make it because it's going to happen multiple times. So it happened in a way with us. And I think having that house we had just built, I think, gave me the motivation not to lose it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as the business started to pick up again. We were the probably the only company that was set up 
with the right equipment, the right amount of capacity to ride the wave out of that recession. And that's when we doubled and then tripled in size. All right. So at that, that time, right? So that just happened, right? Like how did you, so basically you, you just built this huge facility that had mm-hmm. massive um, oh, we had operational robots, capacity. we had all the CNC. Robot. I remember play, hearing yeah. about it because at this yeah. time, that's when I just graduated college, right? Yeah. And that's when I was working for my mother at the yeah. time and I was either going to go on my own or or. Or keep right. going with her. But at the time, I was researching everybody who was around and this and that. I probably even drove around your parking lot, if I yeah. remember right. Yeah. <laughs> you can so many, yeah. You know, you know, I've like, done plenty of that. So I don't yeah, feel yeah. bad about saying that. I've done it. You got to know your competition, exactly. right? You got to right. know. Yeah. So I heard that, you know, you guys had like the CNCs, the saws, like yeah. really able to produce, yeah. right? So, and we were, you know, we were small. We had like one saw, one machine. So we were like, all right, we can make it through this time. Right. Because we, we were thinking the other way. Like, keep your overhead low. Keep your... Yeah. You know, and we'll just hire staff. And if we need to reduce staff or whatever, it's an easier thing to let sure. go rather than a huge nut on a $10 million worth of equipment. Right. You know? So that was our mentality. I remember having these conversations at that time. So your mentality was opposite. We're in. Uh-huh. We already built this mother. This mother. Let's build. Let's, let's, let's run with it. Yeah. Let's, let's go with it. And what was like the sale? Like, did you have to go down on your pricing? Like, what was the strategy? That, like? that was the painful piece of it because, you, you know, you had to erode your margins to survive because right. we, we were coming up every month we would have sales meeting where we would launch a new initiative um, promotion, mm. you know, free this, free that, free sync, free event. I mean, you yeah. had to f- get creative. Yeah. And I think that's also what kept us uh, and made us successful because it's all about innovation, mm. right? So how do we innovate again to get ourselves out of this mess, mm. right? So what we did is became very creative with selling, you know, just creating programs. Every month there would be a new flyer with a new thing. We'd hit every kitchen and bath dealer. Um, and then the competition was always, they were always trying to catch up to us. We mm-hmm. did a vanity program. Like we're the first ones to come up with all of these things that now it's looking back. They, they just happen to be the normal. Yeah. Everybody has it. Everyone has, needs to have these things. But before nobody had it, we launched it and then just everybody came along and did it. Mm. And then I have a question too. So, during this, do you have partners? Uh, my sister and brother-in-law were the only partners. Not anymore because we bought them out. Yeah. But um, but we're still connected. It's still the same business. And then they're in Florida and we're here. Oh, cool. So yeah. when you were growing, like during this time, what was like the, the distribution of labor? Like were you handling the... Sales. Sales. Like right. What was everyone yeah. doing? Yeah. So my wife and my sister were always handling the office. Mm. Uh, my brother-in-law <clears throat> was mostly in operations in, in, in the manufacturing side of it. And I was the sales. I was always sales, customer relation, and then overseeing everything else. Right? Yeah. I ran the sales meeting. I ran the office meetings, the production meetings, be, just because I wanted to make sure that things were moving in the right direction. But my focus has always been on the selling side of things, mm-hmm. on the innovation. When it comes to equipment, I made all those decisions. I made all those purchases, mm. designing the facilities every time we moved, yeah. um, just working with contractors and whoever to build the facilities that we're in or the showroom. Mm. So that was kind of my part. Yeah, And then... The reason why we decided even to move to expand the business and go down to Florida mm. was that we had this partnership that I wanted. I was the aggressive one. I wanted to grow. I wanted mm-hmm. remember number one or number two in the industry. If mm. it wasn't that way, it wasn't going to be. Mm. But I set my eyes on being number one in the industry always. And then my sister and brother-in-law, they were a little bit more like, okay, no, this is good. You know, we 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 don't need to go that fast. Mm-hmm. They. Um, we had the opportunity to say, hey, why don't we just open a second facility? You guys can run that, and then I'll do whatever I have to do with this one. And right. they've been amazing people 
throughout the whole thing this, these past 20 years because they never for a second questioned me mm. whether I was doing the right thing or the wrong Blind thing. Blind faith. Never, yeah. never, never once a beautiful part did they ever come back and say, are you crazy? What is this? Mm. I'll get it from my wife every now and then. She keeps <laughs> me on track, but not, not them. But then we, when we opened in Florida, they were able to do whatever felt comfortable for them and grow right. it to the level that they feel comfortable. And to me, it's never, I never want to feel comfortable. I always want to be uncomfortable. Yep. And that's my, my life. You know, it, it's, and I question myself, what the heck am I doing? Why am I doing this again? Right. <laughs> but it's, it's the world I live in. If I'm not feeling uncomfortable, I feel I'm not growing. How important do you think it is to have, because you have kids. Right. Right. You have kids and you have a family. How important is it to have a, a good wife or like a strong rock at home during that process? Because, again, you're going out, you're being aggressive, you're growing, you're growing. But you also have another... Yeah. It's almost like you have a second life of your, your family. Right. Oh, yeah. Can you talk about a little bit about that? So my wife, Christina, she's always been involved in the business from day one. Mm-hmm. And 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 I, I, I'm usually the one that gets to do these cool things mm-hmm. and talk to you guys and learn a lot. But she should really be the one that should be here next mm-hmm. to me because right. she deserves a lot of that credit. Yeah. Um, I don't think we would have been the company that, we're, that we are without her support, her drive, and, and, and her vision. And she has, and we complement each other. You know, it hasn't been easy. Twenty years working with your wife, right? Yeah, that's tough. You oh, can, you, you, because it yeah. it's, right. it's, it's very transparent what you say to each other, right? Mm-hmm. There's no filter sometimes, mm-hmm. and that's tough. So, but she, you know, over the years, what I realized that a lot of the stuff that created, and it, we didn't have a lot of conflicts, but every time we did have something, it was me fighting a truth mm-hmm. that she would see something and she would open up, open up my eyes for it, and I'm like. No, it's not like that. No, I'm not like that. No, I didn't do this. And then I started to notice that she has an ability and a gift that I don't have. Yeah. You know, she can recognize people a lot better than I do. Meaning, even if somebody's feeling down, she'll walk through the office, you know, this is going on with this person. Something's going to happen. I'm like, no, you just seen things. You're just mm-hmm. being too paranoid. And, yeah. and then it happens. But she has an ability to see things that I can't. So I started to shift instead of being confrontational with some of the stuff that she would say mm. i started to say hey she's an asset mm. she yeah. compliments that side of me that i don't have and 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 it gave me a new respect towards her that that i didn't have before maybe in the beginning of the business yeah. and that's tough to achieve i talked oh, yeah. to a lot of couples in business or family members could be brought you know it could be oh, you, yeah. you guys thing, yeah. big time because i'm sure you all compliment each other in a different way mm-hmm. and that's what makes the business successful that's why you guys can scale it the way you do it's a partnership try to remove one piece out of it it's not the same anymore exactly that's 100 yeah. percent true right. and, and yeah. once you recognize it like you said that's when you really start having appreciation and you have having a respect for that person exactly. because you know all those things that maybe were was the source of a conflict now becomes a source of respect because you do better than I can in that. You know, that's a great way to put it. I mean, because I think we, we battle all the time, right? Me and my brothers. And, um, and I think it's exactly what you said. I think if we look at it in that way where it's like, all right, you know what, that thing that we were fighting for, you were right about that. And now, now that you realize that you have the respect for them that you might have not have had before for them. That's good. Good. That's a good. I also think something I've noted at the more business people I talk to, to have a strong wife at home or to have a good nucleus mm-hmm. at home is so important. It is to yeah. grow, like totally. especially as a as a man, like yeah. to to go out and make the. Tino's taking kid. applications for a rock at home. <laughs> no, I just I, yeah. I honestly admire it. I yeah. you know me being you know I'm single now, but I admire when I see that type of relationship and that right. type of nucleus because I think it's so important extremely to elevate. Important. Yeah, yep. extremely I mean, important. An amazing wife. I know. You know what I mean? Like Tell my brothers have amazing wives and. I all I truly think that that is what makes them who they are. 
and that's what makes them unique and great in their own yeah. way because they have that yeah. security at home. Yeah, well, what it does is it allows you to focus 100% of right. your energy at, on the business. Yeah. Like, I don't have to worry about, like, the kids, you know, right. like, getting to soccer or, like, making sure their right. things oh, yeah. are done and she doesn't bother yeah. me. Like, I'm just... You know, yeah. I see some guys like their wives call them a hundred times a day while they're at work. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are they calling for? For what, so, what are they saying? My, my my wife is funny because she's well, she handles. By the way, she handles all the our personal mm-hmm. stuff like bills. And I never, yeah. if you right. have, I have, I have never seen a paycheck of my own because I'm, I'm on payroll. I've been for twenty years. I've never touched a paycheck. So it goes directly. To, right. But at the same time, I I, I never. I don't think I don't remember the last time I paid a electric bill. You know, because right. she she handles certain things to allow me and give me the time to do what I do best. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. To the point where she even worries about my lunch. Like she's like, okay, what do you, I'm bringing you lunch. I'm doing this. Cause I don't even have to think about lunch. And I eat on, I eat on my desk, usually eats with me. Um, but she's saying she, and it happened naturally. Like she yeah. took a lot of little things that would have gotten in the way, like the kids stuff, mm-hmm. taking the soccer, doing all of this. She thinks through like, if I don't do this, that means he's got to stop doing what he's doing to go exactly. do that. And so I'll, I'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so she balances, she juggles that really, really well. And, and the, the funny thing is in life, these things usually happen mm-hmm. by chance, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't plan it that way, right. but with the experience that we have now, looking back, it's like, wow, uh, I lucked out. You know, it was pure luck. You got a winner. Because you, you got a winner. That, yeah. I mean, that's, a, yeah. that's amazing. Thank yeah. you. All right. So we're back to 2008, right? Yep. So you guys, so basically your strategy was sales cares all, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. it. Let's, let's get, the revenue get out there. Let's, instead of retreating and retracting and cutting costs, let's, you know, control our costs, but at the same time, let's sell. Yeah. Even if we have to reduce our margins a little bit. We got to produce. We got to fill up this facility. Exactly. We have the most capacity out of anybody in the state. Let's let's load the thing up. Yeah. So uh, I I I always joke around with this is that there's I think in my life there's never been anything. Well, there has been some positive things without something really bad or negative mm-hmm. kind of being the shift to, towards that positive. But you know, 2008, for example, if you think about it, it's not quite 10 years, but 2008 nine. But it's 2001 was the first event. Then that happened in 2009. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so we created this strategy, like like you said, sales solves all of our problems, at least when you you need that revenue. Right. So we, we just focus on sales for the next two or three years. And, and by 2011, we were in a growth pattern again, mm. bigger than we were in a way, you know, which was the peak. That was the peak yeah. year for us. So it took us uh, three years to get back to that level. Yeah. But then we kept just growing double digits again. Here we go. And that all the way through... Well, when COVID hit, I think it was the first months or quarter that we were down was that first quarter and second quarter of 2020. It picked back up again in third quarter, and then by fourth quarter, we were growing again. Yeah. So we, we'd had a, maybe a two or three quarter sort of uh, decline, but we picked right back up. And if you think about COVID, it's almost exactly or a little over 10 years from that 08, yeah. 09 period yeah. in time, right? And almost the same exact thing happened. Obviously, we were more stable, mm-hmm. and we had a, a, a stronger foundation, financially especially, mm-hmm. at that point. But we had just invested a lot of money. We built a new facility. We had just opened a new manufacturing shop, uh, plant in Connecticut, mm-hmm. bought all new equipment. We made millions and millions of dollars in investment throughout the company. Yeah, And we moved in to our new building, new headquarters, which was a $4 million build in February, late February of 2020. Three weeks later, we had to shut down. 
Now think yeah. about that. Like we had just expanded, yeah, had just done it. Here we go again, right? The business gods. They just yeah, exactly. That was the craziest time. Yeah. So I, you know, it's just. It's going to happen again. The way I feel now, it's like, okay, I just got to get ready for the next, fa- you know, the next cycle. Exactly. So if it's every 10 years, then I'll be ready again in a how, few years. How important do you think it is to reinvest into your business? It's what we've always done. Always yeah. done. We have always done that. I think the first time now, over the last couple of years, we started to diversify a little bit more outside mm. our business. Um, so we have this real estate company uh, now that we, we've been growing and adding on properties every so often, every mm. six months, three months, whatever. Mm. Um, so I think it's important to reinvest. I mean, we're always reinvesting our money in one way or the other, right? Mm-hmm. Do I take enough just to survive and live a good life? But other than that, everything goes back to the business. Yeah, I mean, at this point, the money's either going to be into the business or in real estate. So oh, yeah. one yeah. of the two. And you, you focus on commercial. Yeah, commercial. What, what made you kind of shift there? Because obviously there's a lot of residential Multifamily buyers, right. all of a sudden, but you focus on commercial. <laughs> we did start with residential. Yeah, we did some, and yeah. and the way I so you guys are gonna get gonna get a laugh out of this one because we're not. You guys know what it, what it's like to to sell, you know, do these three thousand dollar transactions mm-hmm. in the countertop side of the business, and you're dealing with a lot of different transactions, a lot of different homeowners, and a lot of different mm-hmm. problems. Right? It's constant. It's throughout the day. Well, to me, the residential multi unit felt the same way mm. right it's a dishwasher that breaks down or the wash and dryer that doesn't work or the yep. whatever doesn't work right yep. so you're getting those calls constantly on the commercial world then we had these other commercial buildings and i'm thinking man triple net leases right right Variable shit yeah. <laughs> no problem yeah uh, yeah exactly so and, then, true. Uh, and then all of a sudden we we did this one lease and, the, and the, this company comes in and did a 1.8 million dollar build out they did. And he turned this building. old shell of a building and put in Class A office space. Amazing, you know, with a with like a four hundred thousand dollars server room and, mm. and generators. I mean, in, in, just imagine that. I know, which tenant is going to come into the residential world and do that for you? Never. Exactly. No, they're right? gonna, so they paint, even, they're going to put uh, nice appliances. <laughs> exactly, yeah, okay. and then a ten ten year lease guaranteed with in, increases already built in. So I'm, I looked at it. I'm like, I'm a, I have to be crazy to try to do this in the. Not that it doesn't work, right? But because I already have this other business that's very complex mm-hmm. and full of all sorts of issues and problems on, on different jobs that we do. I said, can I be on maybe the supply? I looked at our mm. industry and I said, okay, there is a distributor, there's a manufacturer. So it just gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. And those guys, like we talked about, some of those vendors that, that are making quartz labs, for example, mm-hmm. they make a slab and they ship it to you and they're not going to hear about that slab that cracked a year or two later right. inside the house. Even if you try to get the warranty, they're Forget not going to give it. it. Forget it. Oh, you cut it, you put it in, it's, you own it. Yeah. Right? So that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be that on that other side. And in the, in the real estate world, what, it, what does that look like? It could be, you could be the developer, mm. which I didn't want. I think there's a lot of uh, risks to that. Mm-hmm. Um, right? yeah. I, I wanted to find properties where you know, it had the right location, the right type of properties that were desirable. And that I could add value mm. and be able to make money. You know, I didn't want to go in to just buy something with a cap rate of 8% and park my money. That's not what I'm in for. Yeah, I want properties that I can go in, fix it, stabilize it, add value, and reap the benefits of that work. Yeah, I love yeah. that. We, we have the similar in the residential world, but more recently, we have a couple of commercial properties that we bought over the years. Um, and... The more that we look into it, we did. The, we're having the same realization that you're having. Yeah, mm. like we have all these, you know, eighty units, 
you know, fucking my dad's running around in his Prius, you know, flipping out at these people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shoveling, refrigerator. Yeah. Like, it's the same yeah. thing every time. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then we have our Just other... replace the fridge or be done. And the, in the yeah. commercial, we don't hear a peep. No. The only time we hear something is if they tell us good news, like you said, like, we're going to renovate this and we're yeah. going to make this right. better. And all of a sudden you're thinking like, thank you. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, thank you for making my building. You know, it's... Right. Exactly. We had uh, just funny story that just happened this week, actually. I have this tenant. It's the only tenant that was struggling a little bit. You know, he's paying his rent, but he's falling behind, and sometimes he doesn't have the full payment. You know, small business, and I think he leased too big of a building. Um, so I, you know, we had a conversation. I said, look, um, why don't I stop marketing this building? Your lease is still 18 months away from being up, but why don't I stop marketing the building? If I find a tenant and I can get you out of this situation, mm-hmm. it's better to do it. I don't want to come in and change the locks, you know, and right. lock you out of your business. I don't want to put you out of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was very good about it. He says, yeah, Victor, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Um, so I called my broker, and, and a month later, I got a call back, which was this week. He says, hey, I got this company out of Poland. It's a mm-hmm. medical company, and it's a beautiful building. This is a building that we actually built a few years ago. Very good-looking building. Mm-hmm. So we, um, so anyway, so this company comes in, and we showed the building on Tuesday. And then uh, yesterday, I got a call. They're ready to sign a lease. Wow. They're taking a three-year lease. And because they're out of Poland, you know, we're like, well, how are we going to check the credit of these guys? But they're paying a year up front. Wow. Hell yeah. And wow. they're signing a lease. This guy is paying me, you know, the lease is nine fifty. This new company, $11 a square foot. Wow. Mm. So, you know, even in the commercial world, you still have this ability to, mm-hmm. the ability to do things like that. And you got companies that come in and can pay you a year up front. Right. Right. So um, I, you don't see that type of situation in the residential no, world. No, not ever. Right? Not no. ever. If somebody's falling behind, you take them to court, right? It's yes. going to take you three, four yeah. months to get them out. Exactly. You get all With commercial. the doors, yeah. Exactly. So, exactly. The Massachusetts laws protect them so heavily, and they screw the landlord right. for the most yep. part. Totally. I just went through it. It took us, what, eight months to get somebody out Something of like our that, properties. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and commercial, if they don't pay, normally if you the way you have it in the lease, like three like three days to five days or whatever. Like you can literally change the locks. Yeah. yeah, you can just change it. I mean, you don't, as the landlord, you, you want to yeah. work with them because they're a yeah. business owner. Yeah, do what you he want did, right? Do what you did. Right. Exactly. But if you want to, if they were giving you a hard yeah. time, you can just... It's beautiful. Right. The, the more so is it more industrial or office? or? So again, I, I feel like... Sometimes you got to have that formula and stick to that formula. If you worked well for you, then, then you know, let's not Rinse try to beat. reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to, uh, for, for me, it's been uh, warehouse, flex space type of, of yeah. uh, spaces. So yeah. multi, again, multi-tenant usually yeah. is the best because you, you can um, hedge your, your risk a little bit because if you one tenant leaves, you still have 80 or 75% of the building leased. Um, banks like it a little bit better. Yes. It's easier to do those deals, mm-hmm. I think. If you Rather than going out finding a 50,000 square foot warehouse, single tenant warehouse, right. those are tough. Right. You know, if when you lose a tenant, out, yeah. you could be stuck with that warehouse for another two or three years. Not in this market, but it, I've seen people go through that and actually lose the property because of it. Right. So um, to me, it has been multi-tenant flex space. It can either be, for example, we just closed on a property in Connecticut. It's 35,000 square feet. It has six tenants, mm-hmm. and one of the tenants is a 6,000-square-foot law firm. Mm-hmm. I have a rebath uh, franchise in there. I have a gym in there. I have a, a, a distributor of clean, uh, automobile cleaning products. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a little bit of everything, and it's that, that's the flexibility of a flex space. Right. And it's a beautiful park, so mm-hmm. a law firm can be there. It could be a medical company. It could be a pharmaceutical company. I see. Yeah. And then what makes you, like, because some people in real estate, they'll focus on, you know, I just focus on, you know, plazas in Massachusetts. I right. just focus on 
this here. So you, cap rate and stuff cap like rates, that. all that stuff. Like right, what's exactly. your when you look at a property, what are you analyzing and like what makes you gonna go to Connecticut rather than Massachusetts or rather than Rhode Island, for example? Great question. So if you're trying to buy commercial here in Massachusetts, you're gonna know that you're gonna pay up mm-hmm. some some big numbers, especially as you get approach the city, Boston, and you're within that one twenty eight or four ninety five belt, right? Yeah. Um, there's very little inventory, which Connecticut has very little inventory. But the main difference is this. So a lot of the properties that we bought, they, they're usually in that 60 to $80 price range. You have to go back more than 10 years to find anything in Massachusetts that was sold in that price range. Mm. Right. Okay? That's one reason. But then the, the, the rates. So you might have a property here in Mass that you pay $120, $140 a square foot. Mm. And then you're leasing it for $10 or $11 a square foot. Mm. I can buy a property in Connecticut, for example, for eighty dollars a square foot and lease it for ten or nine. Mm. So there's, so you're I paying forty percent less, yeah. and you're probably leasing it for ten percent less. Right. Right. So no, that spread smart. is it, that yeah. Was smart. Yeah. You know, it, it, exactly. remind, it reminds me of like like Worcester, for example. Mm. Yep. You could buy a property in Worcester, and you just totally. get almost similar rates than you would in let's say like North Reading. Mm-hmm. Or something like that, but the price exactly is yeah. just way low, cheaper. Exactly. But some people look at those as risk towns or risk states because the cap rates are so high. But to me, if you ask me, I would say, you know what? I'd rather buy into Worcester or Haverhill well, right. or of, Southern New Hampshire. There's a lot of factors too, like where you know where the population is coming from. Like Worcester is a good example because people are moving to Worcester right now to work. There's colleges, yeah. right. right? Exactly. Right. Worcester's right. Are definitely booming right now. But right. you don't want to buy, you know, in the middle of nowhere, right? And there's no, there's no population. There's no reason to right. be there. There's no reason right. for growth. That, that, yeah. Well, location is definitely key. Like I'm not going throughout the state of Connecticut looking for properties. I want to stay central. So we're within. So what I want is central, uh, so around New Haven mm-hmm. is usually where we yeah. look. A little south uh, of Hartford. Yeah, south of Hartford. So we don't want to be in Hartford, further south, yeah. close to highways, right? We want to be in a desirable location. So location is key. The other th- important thing, I think, on the real estate that I see is it's not a main focus. We're not we're growing that side of the business, and I'm always looking for new properties, but I don't have that pressure right. to Passive. go do the next deal at the end of this month right. because Passive, I have yeah. to grow. Right. So that's, I think, also can get you in trouble. If you have that pressure to grow in real estate, you end up getting into the wrong... Into bad deals. Bad deals. Yeah, the wrong deal. We talk about that all the time. It's like you have your main cash flow business going. Right. I don't live off of the real estate. Exactly. So it allows you to reinvest everything from the real estate, not get forced into bad deals. Exactly. I I think we have a little upside on that. And the best best deals you can make are the ones you don't 100% need. When you're negotiating and you... One guy at the other end of the table needs it, and you don't. You're like, listen, I don't need this deal. Right. Mm-hmm. This is my number. If you like it, great. If not, again, just this, isn't, this isn't my... Just happened, yeah. yeah. We just had a deal like that. Um, not work for us because somebody came in at a much higher uh, price, but offer. But at the end of the day, I, you know, it, it hurts that I knew it was a good deal, mm-hmm. right? But I wasn't going to take that kind of risk that the other company did to, right. to buy the building at what they paid. You know, you just move on to the next one. Mm. You know, I wasn't pressured to go up and try to buy, you know, make a bigger offer right. and get the building and then end up with a problem at the end. Yeah, exactly. I say, I always call it uh, negotiate like a terrorist. Like, you can't be afraid to, like, blow yourself up and lose the deal. Yeah. You know? Right. Like, if you're no, not afraid, a, whatever. Yeah, you got to take the emotions out. You know, it does, does it, do you feel the pain? Yeah, of course you do. But you can't play that emotion card. You know, you have to get, you know, stick to those, the facts, right? What right, are the exactly. numbers? What... You know, it's just I don't want I don't want to compare it to gambling, but you have to know yes. when to stop. Exactly, got to know when yeah. to stop, right? Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, and, and, and another point is, every business person I've ever spoke to that do really well over a certain threshold, or in real estate some capacity, whether it's lending, 
buying a couple, you know, multifamilies here and there or commercial, every really wealthy person or good business person I know ends up dabbling in real estate. That's everybody. Yeah. I, I, so I have, uh, and I've been, since we really started investing more in, in real estate, I've been talking more and more with, you know, whether it's my accountant, my financial advisor, everybody. It was, this is what I keep hearing is our biggest clients, the most successful ones, they always, always invested in real estate, no matter what they did. They were a doctor, but they bought their, you know, the building that their practice was in. Mm-hmm. Then they invested in this. Then they bought that. And, and, and it's true. Like, real estate in another two to three years is going to outpace the growth of our original business mm-hmm. and even the income of the business. Mm. Oh, really? Oh, we're, we're on the track right now to do just that. And wow. that's my goal. My oh, goal shit. is to grow the real estate piece of it bigger than what we did first time around, wow. which is interesting that I've always had this one question. Could I ever do this again? Mm. Right? I don't know if you guys ever think. I mean, you've got oh, multiple yeah. businesses, mm-hmm. but it's like, yeah, we were successful. And I have had my failures. Don't get me wrong. And the failures do, they, they, they hurt, mm-hmm. right? But I've always asked myself, like, could I ever build a business again? Or was it just by luck? I just happened to be at the right place at the right mm-hmm. time, at the right, you know, with the right business. Um, and then here we are. I'm looking at this in my 40s mm. because you hear about stories of people actually, most business, successful business owners, they say, oh, they didn't start their business until they were 40. Right. Right. That used to be the case. Not anymore. But now as I was approaching my 40s, I'm like, am I, am I going to be able to do this again? And now that I have the opportunity to do it, it's mm. really exciting. And it's it's the level of energy that I have. All of a sudden, it feels like like twenty years ago when I started the, the Granite Company. Yeah, and it's you take cool. all the scars that you that you built over the years for the twenty years of right. in your Granite business, and you apply it so much smarter, so much wiser. Oh yeah, like okay. it's so it's so much more it's seamless. It's like ebb and like flow. What can you do now that you have this foundation and this experience exactly. that you built, right? right? And and how much can you do it? It's almost. It almost, to me, and I, I look at it that way, it just puts a little bit more pressure because now it's like, look, I'm not starting from way down here. You know, I have this experience and, and I have the contacts and you have the network and you have mm-hmm. all of, you know, these relationships with banks and brokers that you develop over the years. So you better do a lot bigger than you did before mm-hmm. because you're not starting out from down here. You've got an advantage now and you right. got to build this faster. That's how I feel now. Yeah. I mean, I would say two yeah. of the main reasons the business got to where it is now is really when we started and where we started because we kind of got yeah. in before everyone mm. and yeah. you know we're central to the state in the Worcester area yeah so i think that's definitely huge you can get to springfield boston in an hour yeah you know and so. it, it happened by chance so that's it's a good point that he brings up because i always thought that was it because i did something special mm-hmm. was it because we just happened to be in that location because you're central yeah. within 60 miles you can hit five six major markets right yeah. Um, so there's a lot of things that happen by luck, mm-hmm. I call it. I think every successful person would tell you. There was a little bit of luck sometimes. There's hard work, but there is certain things that happen along the way that mm-hmm. I, I feel that... And the funny thing is, yeah. like, you wouldn't even think about that back then. But no, it's like no, right it's just, now, that's you think about it. It's you luck. think back and you yeah. see... A couple, couple balls bounce your court. It, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, It's it not all luck, though. No, it's not all luck. Not, not even not. a little bit. And, I mean, some, it's, people, and some people... No, because everybody gets lucky, but who's going to really capitalize on that luck, right? Exactly. It's going to make your luck. And some people think that... You know, luck is a, is a to me a loose word. You know, to me, I think that you earn it, like yeah. you visualize it, or you you essentially you you build your own luck. It's not like right. by chance of God. You know, like mm-hmm. you were no. doing something, you visualize something, your energy, the things that you were bringing to your attention, like it happens. You to put you. yourself in that position. Exactly. That's how most in most cases, I think that I say. Yeah, you can turn. You, you know, you look at any situation that happened, and you can call it lucky. Like you were lucky that. 
that happened in Brazil with your dad when he was 53 right. and he mm -hmm. came here. Now, that luck, that situation was but that terrible, happened but to it was millions lucky. of other people that came, but didn't do anything. Exactly. With it, right? What did yeah. you do with that opportunity yeah. that now you look back and say it was luck? It's luck. Yeah, I, I, it's a good point. I mean, there, I, to me, there are opportunities which hundreds, if not thousands, of people have had, but you capitalize on it and you yeah. made it. You know, it, it, now you look back and say, "Oh, I was lucky that this happened," but it's not. It was an opportunity. You just happened to make it. You know, exactly. something out of it. I have a couple questions because. In the business, you've had a great business career. And to someone to do a business for 20 years mm -hmm. is really impressive. Um, what you. were like your unlocks along the way? Like what was something you learned along the way? Like, whoa, that was something huge to then now grow my business. Like, do you have any of those unlock moments? I think there are several. But I, I would say. The recruiting say, one you talked about the earlier. The recruiting, one. yeah. So we, we um, it, you know, we had, early on we knew that the business was about people. And when I say people, just it's not just customers, right? It's mm -hmm. the right people, the right employees in the right seats, yeah. um, driving that bus, but also the right vendors, the right relationships outside yeah. of that, whether it's banks or, or anything like that. Um, I've had the one that I shared with you that we took this approach um, that recruiting, you know, finding people was going to take center stage just like sales. Mm -hmm. We're going to treat recruiting just like we treat sales. We yeah. need great people to help us run the business, to help us service our customers, uh, like just like we need great customers to purchase and pay us, right? Purchase yeah. our product and pay us. Um, we also took that approach in, in the relationships that we build, accountants, uh, banks, you name it, uh, lawyers, whoever we need. It was always, let's find the best. Um, but the... I would say the accounting, uh, I found this accountant mm -hmm. years ago, and uh, Keith Blanchett, great guy, and his credibility, his know-how, and, and my, my, you know, my comfort in having him there mm. and my trust in him has allowed me to grow the business. And, mm. and he's the type of guy because he know, he's well-connected. Yeah. Every time we needed a loan for a new building, whatever, I would call him, hey, Keith, uh, listen, I got this opportunity. Mm. What do you think? And he mm. would sit, we would sit down, discuss the opportunity. He goes, yeah, I think it's great. I think you can do it. Mm. And that gave me a little level right. of confidence, yeah. right? And I'd go out and, and get the deal done, and then he would help me secure the financing for that deal. Wow. And because he had those relationships with banks, because he's got bigger clients that also have big relationships with banks, the banks trust his information, his yeah. his reporting is solid, and and it made my life a little bit easier. And yeah. it also gave me the confidence to to be able to close those deals. You know what that reminds, you know what that reminds me of? Yeah. A mastermind idea, like yeah, the idea of being in a mastermind. You're 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 around like-minded people exactly that could have a different skill set than you that could bring you more value. And that's what again, that's that was one of our unlocks. Mm -hmm. That yeah, you're like whoa. There's a you have a good advisory team around you, like a good right. a good mm -hmm. accountant, a good lawyer, a good. You know everybody around you, so you can make the right decisions. Yeah, don't get me wrong. There are people out there that can do most of it by themselves, and mm -hmm. they're smarter than than anybody they can put around them. Uh, it's dangerous, in my opinion. Number one, but there are people that have done that mm -hmm. successfully. But I think for the majority of us in, in business, we need better people doing certain things in our business, and 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 let them take that role, whether it's an accountant or yeah. a good CFO or a good sales manager. You know, when we try to take certain roles within our business that we're not probably as qualified as somebody else to do it. That's, right. I think, when we get in trouble. Right. Do you have a CFO in your business? We don't. We have a controller, actually. Do. And she does a great job. And I happen to do the whole finance side of things and, and CFO. I, I didn't go to school for it. I learned the hard way, and I like doing it. It is getting to the point that it's a little bit too much, but having a good accountant that, that 
yeah. s- that really works well with me as a business advisor, just not, you know, just not doing my taxes or closing right. the months. You know, he, I can bounce things off of him and, and get really good input and advice. And then I have a really good controller within the business that mm. can keep the record keeping, you know, on point and can do some cash flow projections and can do some certain things. Yeah. Uh, it's worked out well, and it allows me to take that role of CFO. Yeah, so I think I would consider my I'm probably the CFO, right? And uh, and it's it's like I we need to hire somebody to do it. I mean, we've yeah. been playing around with it. Do we hire a we CFO? We need a Keith Blanche. Is what we yeah, need. yeah, yeah. We need a, without a doubt. Right, but 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 Keith Blanche is the CPA, is your accountant. Right? Yeah, but he's you know he's from again. It's he does different roles, more so like being a true business advisor and and work yeah. alongside with you to guide you to the right places. Right. So, but like a CFO that like works for your company exclusively. Yeah, yeah if he's doing money, cash flow, yeah. cash flow projections yeah. and, and things like that, yeah, you, it's it's important. Especially you guys have a lot going on. You have right. a lot of moving pieces, right? That's, yeah, exactly. That's important. We, we yeah. need somebody like we need to figure that part out. That that's the one missing piece that we have right now. During your growth, how did you do with delegation? Because obviously, when you start a business, right. everyone knows this was like you're doing everything. You're the finance guy, you're the sales, you're doing right. the, in the back. When as you grew, what was your advice to like to delegate? Like, was there a point of like, listen, I'm just not good at this. Let me find someone better right. in my place. Like, what was your I, kind of strategy during that? I do that very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, some people say I try. I, I'm not a good delegator sometimes because I try to also do certain things maybe that I shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that I always found people that did whatever role they were in better than I could. Yeah. And I always let them run with it. Like, mm-hmm. it, like just go back when I started, we started investing heavily into technology in our business the cncs and the robots and digital templating and with this when this stuff was new i took my best person who's now the general manager but at the time i said look i, I by the way i bought a million dollars worth of equipment mm. and i said i don't know how to run it i don't know even what this thing does but i think it, it's good mm. but go out go <laughs> over there cool, yeah. looks cool i think they said it they said they said it's going to pay back you know we're going to make some money with this but yeah. go out there and try to figure out how this works mm. build a team around it and he did. And I think I had one conversation. That was it. And I never even questioned him. He was the right guy. But the reality is I never even questioned him. He did all the hiring. He trained. He did. He put it all together. And within six months, we had all this equipment up and running. We're doing digital. I mean, we converted everything to digital in six months. Wow. Um, but I couldn't do it myself. I was trying to run the business, right? But I've done certain things that, that again, I wasn't trained. I didn't go to school to, to do that. But I think I've trusted certain people that could do the job better than I could. Mm. And I let them run with it. So get out of their way. If you ask me, that's the answer to the question I asked earlier. What's the difference? Like, how did you guys yeah. get? That's that's it right there. I think it is because like, a lot of people in that industry, and a lot of just you know small businesses in general, one of the things that holds them from being big is the right. idea that they're the only ones that can do it. Like, oh no, if I nobody does it like I do, and they they want to do everything, control, and that keeps you small. Yeah, you know? it's it's interesting. It was again going back to because my lack of business school mm-hmm. i had to learn from reading and listening to or listening going to events whatever and at, at one point i heard this um this one quote from j paul getty i don't know if you guys have heard which was the i'd rather have you know one percent of the efforts of a hundred people rather than hundred percent of my own effort mm, i love that and and that Start stuck in my mind because i said i think like you said some people want to try to do it all on their own mm-hmm. and they think that all of the results are going to be based on 100% of my own effort. Right. And I've never thought of it that way. That's why I give the power to multiple people. Like, I'd rather have a little bit of what you're doing, you're doing, you're doing, 
and I'm whole at 100% and I don't have to do all the heavy lifting and all the, all the work. And in turn, by the way, it sounds a little, a little bad when you think about it. Like, am I, do I only have my best interest in mind? No, because all of those people that I trusted, right, mm-hmm. to give them those responsibilities, let me tell you, they're living their best life ever. Their income is high. I mean, they're getting compensated, well compensated to do it. And we right. gave them the opportunities to grow right, and to be in the place that they are today. So they are reaping the benefits just as much as I am. Yeah. That's beautiful. When you were when you were rocking in the beginning, right when you first started, was there ever a plan B for you? Like, was there no. ever like, if I fail, I will do, or it was I will not fail, and or I'll die on this CNC machine. You know, like yeah. how did you, what was your mentality? It really, was nothing. Yeah, no, I, I I believe it or not. Let me again going back to to books. Right, the world's greatest salesman, Ogmandino. There's um, you get towards the end, the end, the end of uh, that that book and it's um, they have um, he says it's got these scrolls and there's one one of these scrolls is about not ever giving up right um, and fighting 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 and not having an option to you know there's no second plan and and so to me it was always okay there's never a second plan even aviation I never thought about well I can always right. go back to that there's never been that mm-hmm. in my mind yeah. Again, that's a lot. There's a lot of common traits. The reason why we do these episodes is to yeah. to find the commonalities between different business owners because I th- we think business is just a, f- a foundation, right? Like you can apply it to a thousand different businesses, and one of the commonalities, like the common denominators, is ninety nine percent there is no plan B for some of these guys. No. So mm-hmm. no, something to take away. All right. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of good takeaways here. So that brings us up to like our last question of the day that we we sure. we ask everybody. So. What is the best piece of advice or best thing that you've learned along the way that you could pass off to a young entrepreneur or somebody who's in business now? I think it's what we just discussed. I think don't think you know it all. Yeah. And don't think you have to do it all. Yeah. Right. Find the right people that's going to help you get there. It's going to be a lot faster and you'd be surprised how many people are willing to walk along with you and help you build what you're trying to build. Um, and and they're out there. Yeah. I think that that would be my best advice. Cause yeah, I mean, you told me the same advice. thing for years, so yeah, I know that. That's that's great advice. Yeah, I love that. So where can we? Uh, where can the viewers find you? So with Discover Surfaces. So Discover right? Surfaces. We're in Millbury, Massachusetts, at Four Laddie Farm Road, but we're also in Connecticut, in Wallingford, Connecticut, Fort Myers, Florida, yeah, in Wareham, uh, Massachusetts. Yeah. Wait a minute, Mill Farm. Is that uh, Mil- the built? The- yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's two seconds away. The yeah. building that we invest in, what the hell? Yeah, no, we, we drove by it. We drove there for a meeting. And I'm <laughs> like, holy shit, that's, you know. That's yeah, we're right there. Right yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll get into that off air. Yeah. I'm talking <laughs> about that on air. Get in trouble. All right, so, perfect. All right, guys, have a great Thank day. Thank you very much. Thanks Thank for you. having Thank me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. it.